You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. In today's episode, we're back with Joseph N. Gagliano, author and creator of No Gray Areas. They continue their conversation on what No Gray Areas is about, along with discussing outreach programs for young students and athletes. Let's dive in. So Joe, we're back. Um, We did our first episode learning a little bit about your story. You wrote a book called No Gray Areas. And let me just read a little excerpt from the end of this book. It's really what you talked about in episode one. But you say in the last chapter, the early life choices I made allowed me to wrongly think that gray areas were acceptable spaces to play in. You go on, you say, at first, those simple gray areas seemed innocent enough. Over time, the decisions I made, small grains of sand at the time grew into mountains of pain and suffering. So where you left off last time is you started talking about that mountain of suffering and it really came from these games at ASU you fixed. And as far as we know, it's one of the biggest sports scandal in history, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about game one and how you fixed that with the point guard that led to a couple more games, correct? You know, it, it's, there's that saying that greed kills, you know, and, and we had the perfect scenario for game one uh it was super bowl weekend it was a thursday the the bills were playing the buffalo uh the bills were playing the uh the dallas cowboys there was a ton of money in las vegas this was 1994 february january of 1994 um so us going out to vegas me going out to vegas with a duffel bag full of cash and technology is not where it is today when you say a duffel bag full of cash how much cash was in that? Um, I brought five hundred thousand with me to Vegas that trip, um, <laughs> that first game. So you're the going first to, game. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. So I just wanted everybody to know that we're not talking like a hundred bucks, two hundred no, bucks. No, okay. no. Okay. It, it was you know, and TSA just kind of looks at me and they look at the bag and they just shrug their shoulders. They can't do anything <laughs> about it. And yeah. Things were a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. than they are now, and uh, you know, so I had a. I had a bag of cash with me, and I had a lot of bookmaking connections on the East Coast, New York, Louisiana, Chicago. And so I was able to put a decent amount of money on that first game. Now, now granted, I didn't think this was going to work. Yeah. I mean, So I, you're not going all in at no, this point? No, no, no. I had my radar up, and, you know, I had told Headache it had to land on six. And, and you know, I'm saying, gosh, this kid's got talent, but can he really control the outcome of a game? Now, can I just say for just a moment again to let the audience know, when you say you weren't going all in, in the first episode, you talked about where you're making crazy money at this point in your life, you're 23, 24 years old. When you have $500,000 of cash in a duffel bag, but you're not going all in, there's a lot of people that are smiling at that. So when you said you were making crazy money at this age, you were, right? Yeah, it. it I was doing well, Pat. I, I was doing well. And, you know, what, what still has haunted me to this day, you know, 30 years after the fact is, is my respect for money. It has haunted me because you lose the, the perception of a dollar when you're at the board of trade and when you're trading bond futures, which is the most expensive future market there is. And, and you see the digits that are going through your account and trading accounts every day. And for me, it's just, it was just, and, and, and unfortunately, that has still haunted me throughout the rest of my business career is I'm a lot, was a lot more aggressive in deals that I looked at because money was just, and is just a tool in my mind. It just comes and goes easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it comes and goes. And, 
And, you know, back then I was trying to use money for self-serving purposes. Now I'm looking to use money for a greater purpose. So, you know, I don't know if it's through maturation or it's just through getting punched in the gut several times in life or whatever it is. But, you know, so bringing 500,000 at that point in my life when I'm 23 years old in a duffel bag to Las Vegas. Yeah, it was a lot of money. It still is a lot of money, but I wasn't all in. I, cause I was, I was thinking, Hey, this possibly couldn't work. Not that I was afraid of losing it because I have a very high risk tolerance level, unfortunately, as my wife would say, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a good bet for me. Don't not to mention there's another two, 300,000 made with bookmakers too. Yeah. So, you know, Vegas was one thing, but the bookmakers were a whole nother separate component. So you were saying that it was a perfect weekend because there's this big Super Bowl going on. Yeah. So you were almost you were almost hiding doing all these bets. Yeah. Like no one was really watching. And if you would have stopped at that point, you, you probably know, would have gotten away with it. Well, I knew when I first made the deal with Headache and I made the deal with him to give him fifty thousand a game and wipe away his twenty or twenty five thousand dollar gambling debt, the deal was for two games. So we had Oregon State, which was a Thursday game, and then, you know, there's Oregon and Oregon State. There were, Oregon State and Oregon are the two teams in Oregon. What they do is they come to Arizona, and one team will play ASU, one team will play U of A. Okay. And then they'll flip-flop on a Thursday, Saturday type yeah, of deal. Yeah. So we knew we had the Thursday game against Oregon State, and then we had the Saturday game against U of A. Now, the Saturday game – well, Thursday and Saturday were both before Super Bowl weekend. You know, Saturday was the day before Super Bowl Sunday. So tons of money in Las Vegas. All the Texas oil money's out there. Dallas people are out there. There's, you know, my 500,000 slid under the radar and got gobbled up in Vegas without anyone even knowing what was happening. So Thursday was an ideal thing. Yeah. And the game wasn't televised, so I had to watch the sports ticker go across and and sure enough, when that game landed six, I was with my dad and, and, and three of his friends. It was, a, it was a Kodak moment. It was a great moment for myself and with my dad. And, and, and I'll say this so nobody passes judgment in any way, shape, or form. My dad had no idea. My dad had no idea. He knew I was at the Board of Trade. He knew I was doing well. He knew I loved the gamble. He just thought, honestly, and I'll take this with me to my grave, he just honestly thought I bet the game. He had no idea I had the players, no idea that I, I was doing anything nefarious. And he was a cheerleader for me. And it was a great, pure moment. It was almost like a dad me. rooting on his son at yeah. that point. Like, yeah. you did well, yeah. son. So, man, that's just such a good picture in my mind. Yeah. I'm so glad they're making this into a movie because I can picture these movie scenes. But you're sitting there, and the game's not televised, so you're not watching like every second of the game. You're just seeing the scores come up <laughs> periodically, right? And then all of a yeah. sudden the game ends – he told you he could do it six points and it lands right on i believe it was 78 to 72 and, and you know what was weird wow. about this pat it, it was like the first half of the the first half of the game asu was up by 15 18 maybe i think 20 at one point and it looks like you know i've seen enough of those games where it just either just be a monumental blowout you know one team just lays dead and says hey we surrender type of thing but um Little by little, about the 15-minute mark, the 10-minute mark, the 8-minute mark, it started coming down. The ticker would come across, and we'd see the score. And, and sure enough, it landed six. And I'm like, gosh, that's flipping amazing. And you don't really realize – I mean, I didn't really realize the, the – I just thought it was going to be 
two games. It was going to be the Thursday game, and then it was going to be the Saturday game. And hey, I took the the million bucks in Vegas that we ended up uh, cashing out in the first game, rolled that completely into the second game because now I'm feeling you you know they I'm can do this confident, and I'm so confident of the fact that I had Benny fly to Arizona. I, I'm sorry, fly to Las Vegas, and I gave Benny. 50,000. And Benny's 20. the bookie that you're yeah. working with. Yeah. I gave Benny 50,000 in cash. And I said, put this in Headache's hands on that Friday night. So now the kid. Now you knew if he held 50,000. I knew if that 19, 20 year old kid held that money in his hands and he got to see what was actually going for his work, what was going on for his work. I knew there was no way we weren't going to have. He's eating ramen noodles at night, but now yeah, he's holding 50,000. Now he's got 50 grand in cash. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's King Farouk on campus right now, yeah. you know? So got him that money on Friday. And then sure enough, Friday night, early early betting line, started betting pretty heavily. Saturday just unloaded, got that million bucks off in Vegas, really with no issues whatsoever, which can't be done today. That's what people don't get, you know? And you have to stay under 10,000 bucks because if you bet 10,000 bucks on one ticket, you're filling out a CTR which is a cash. That was even then in 1994, which is a cash transaction report, which is reported to the feds and everything else. So just think about that for a second. We bet a million bucks on game two without one ticket being over 9,900 bucks. You're just running to all the different casinos. 32, 33 different hotels, uh, casinos. They had small sports books with paneling on the walls back then and rinky dink places. But, um, I'm yeah. picturing you borderline exhausted, but also just jacked up with adrenaline over what you figured was going to happen. You know, I, I, I am deep. You know, one, one thing that I'm either blessed or cursed with, depending on how you look at it, is I'm detail driven. I, I, I put an agenda in place and I, I like to execute and follow that agenda. So for me, it was more the mission rather than the reward, because I knew if I completed the mission properly, the rewards would come. Just an outcome, yeah. And the rewards had to be, in this case, unfortunately, was something that was not proper. Yeah. So, but I didn't think about it that way back then, you know. So. So, how much did you make on that second game? I think I left Vegas. You know, I ended up betting the super. I ended up betting the Dallas Cowboys on Super Bowl Sunday for three or four hundred thousand bucks, and I think I came home with about two and a half million in cash. Wow. Um, and then I collected all the winnings with the bookmakers on top of it. Yeah. So. Um, was a good weekend. And Pat, that should have been the end of it. Yeah. That should have been the end of it. It was But that's where you go into greed, uh, right? Yeah. I'm 23 years old. I'm about to get married. This is end of January. I'm about to get married in April. Start a family. Um, I'm trading. I'm making stupid money at the board of trade. Oh, by the way, I got a duffel bag of two and a half, three million bucks in cash because I picked up all the money from the bookmakers. Greed kills. Yeah. Greed kills. And sure enough, you know, a couple weeks later, I get a call from, from, from Benny. Hey, you want to do this again? There's another game coming up against USC. Okay. Okay. Game against USC. Another opportunity. Another opportunity. To say no. Another opportunity to say no. But you've been walking those great yeah. yeah. But this is, you know, and I don't know if it's ignorance or youth or I don't know what it is but thinking back now I'm I, I put myself in check because I don't sleep very much Pat you know I know you, that <laughs> yeah. you know. I get texts from you at like two in the morning four in the morning 
I don't sleep much. And, and I, I really just replay events in my mind and different things that happened in my life. And I, I, I think about this and I, what was I thinking at game three? What was my motivating factor for game three? Why did I say yes? And the only thing I could come up with was, um, hey, they were going to do it without me. I already gave them the roadmap. They were going to do it without me. If I didn't participate, I was going to lose out. And if they got caught, I'm going to get caught for game one and two anyway. So I might as well be part of it. I mean, how silly was that? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, wow. I don't know. Lottery yep. red. Yeah. Lottery yep. red. That's why I love what your greed kills. Again, it's just, it's, it's greedy. It's, you don't want to miss out a little bit more, like you said. So you guys end up fixing two more games, right? You do four games total. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, on that fourth game, you went all in because now you're, you're right. Is this the yeah. story? And so what'd you walk away with after that game? After the third game, had about five million bucks. Uh, maybe a little, it was north of 5 million bucks. I had, had a bunch of bookmaker money on top of it. And, and when that, you say you had 5 million bucks, what do you mean? Like you had a check for 5 million? No, or? it's not sequential unmarked bills. I mean, in, so in you a had duffel a bag. duffel bag yeah. full of, <laughs> first yeah. time I met you, you were telling me this story yeah. and I'm like, can $5 million fit in a duffel bag? And you're like, yes, I can. Uh, it, it, it could fit. And I scanned that duffel bag through through TSA at the airport. I remember like it was yesterday, the look on the agent's face when he opened that thing. He looked at it, make sure there was nothing else in there because money is just paper. I mean, if you're going domestically here in the States, you can carry paper if you want to. It wasn't done from ill-gotten gains. Yeah. It wasn't drugs or anything yeah. like that. It was going to Vegas. I'm coming yeah. back from Vegas. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying in the eyes of the law, yeah. going through an airport, there's nothing TSA illegal agent with it. Yeah, you. So he gave you a, a funny look. Yeah, just a look. Looked at me. Looked at the bag. Looked at me and handed me the bag, and I went. And that was it. And I remember, you know, I I flew back on the red eye that night um, after Game Three, and by myself. And I was watching. I was watching the movie Rudy, which is one of my favorite movies, and uh, and it was like a surreal moment in my life. And I'm sitting there with a duffel bag with the strap around my shoulder with a, a duffel bag on my lap. And I got five million bucks in duffel bag. And I'm watching the Rudy. And I start crying during the movie. Because that movie always, yeah. I don't know, the movie always. It'll tear you up. Yeah. So it's like, and I caught myself. I was like, what the heck am I doing? I'm in an airplane. I've got money around my, my shoulder. And I'm crying like a little girl watching a movie. So <laughs> it was one of the yeah. funnier things that happened. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting part of the story, and this is why I, I love your heart now, Joe, like we're in the process of turning this into a movie, and as we talked about in episode one, curriculum, a cautionary tale yeah. that's going to help kids learn the power of choices and decisions. But the interesting thing about your story, and a lot of our stories, is the repercussions or the consequences of that bad choice didn't happen the next day. There was a gap of time, wasn't there? Like you, you thought you were free and clear for not just months, but a couple of years. Many years. It wasn't. So the last game ended in early March of oh, March of ninety four. Um, you know, there was a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. The point spread on the last game against Washington moved, I think, nine and a half or ten points, which is still to this day the largest point spread movement in one day without any injuries reported, without any catastrophic events on the teams happening. Um, so it was, a, it was a large event, a large, large point spread movement. The media picked it up. Um, 
And there was a lot of speculation that something something was going on with Arizona State. Point shaving. They brought up all the old the Boston College scandal, the the Tulane scandal. They started likening all this stuff, and and they looked at it for a year um, or so, and then it was you know, and I really thought we were done. Yeah. I, I just never. I said, hey, man, I knew what I did. I knew how tight I was doing it. I knew the people that were involved. None of us were going to talk. There was never going to be a link. I never had any CTRs in Las Vegas. Yeah, the sportsbook managers knew me, but, hey, they also knew I liked to gamble too. So I never really was worried about it. That's because I was so naive at that point too. You know, The government has unlimited resources. Um and it, it's a high-profile case, and they're going to put their best teams on it, and they're going to they're going to fight and see if something's right there, and 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 see if they could prove something. So nothing happened at all in '95, '96, '97. Really, nothing was going on. And then um, a kid, Benny's roommate, a kid that I wouldn't would not even know. This kid Barry something or other, kid that I wouldn't even know. If he was sitting in a room with this me, is the bookie's roommate, yeah, yeah, yep. gets busted, uh, gets in trouble dealing drugs, driving. I, I, I hear. I, I, I don't know if this is a fact, but driving down to Tucson, and he had a whole bunch of drugs in his truck or in his car, and uh, so he got arrested, and oddly enough, never got charged. Um, so you. You, you, you knew pl- a bigger fish. Yeah, a bigger <laughs> fish. You play Monty Hall, let's yeah. make a deal. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, the, the shinier trophy was the ASU scandal. Yeah. Um, and then my brother's roommate got in trouble for some stuff, too, as well. And uh, he played Monty Hall, let's make a deal as well. And neither one of those guys got charged. And, you know, am I mad about it? Yeah, I'm mad. But, man, you know, I, I've learned in my 53-year journey two things. I can either get mad or I can get 20 to life mad. So am I mad? Yeah, I'm mad. But I'm certainly not 20 to life mad. Yeah, yeah. You know? I like that. Yeah, I just, because yeah. I had a temper in my earlier age. Yeah. Now it's like, man, I just shrug it off saying, it is what it is. Yeah. There's nothing I can, there's nothing I can do. I can't control it. Yeah. So you have three, four years before the FBI starts knocking on your door? Was yeah. that coming? FBI knocked on my door. I had just gotten married. I was in Chicago, knocked on my door, asked me a couple questions. And, and I, they said, hey, what's your interest in the ASU game? I said, hey, man, I, I, I like to gamble. It, you know, and I was arrogant. I, I said, you guys look at my tax returns. You guys see I'm doing well. I mean, I like to go to Vegas. My parents were in Vegas. I, my parents moved to Vegas. It's just an arrogant approach, yeah. a young, yeah. ignorant approach. And I thought I really got rid of them at that point. And then sure enough, and I think it was the end of 97 or early 98, all the indictments came out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great reminder for all of us again. And it's why you wrote the book, No Gray Areas, right? Is you started messing around in gray areas, led you to do something that you never thought you would do, but you thought you got away with it for a couple of years and it came back to get you. Boy, more so even more so even made. now, Pat. The technology, the information age, the technology that's out there. Man, you can't. There's eyes on you all the mm-hmm. time. You can't keep a secret mm-hmm. in, in today's world. Yeah, you yeah. can't. I mean, either somebody can tap into your phone and read a text message, or or through surveillance cameras somewhere. Something's going on in this country where where 
if you do something in a gray area or if you're doing something flat out wrong, it's going to catch up to you. It's going to catch up to you. You know, I, I, I think part of the point that really resonates me with kids and why we're doing this whole curriculum with kids and youth and schools and social media, the prevalency of social media and these choices that these kids can make early on because they want to live in this perceived reality of what they see in social media. So you get kids that could post some provocative picture or something uh, online thinking it's cool when they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And then when they realize what life's all about, they, they want to run for political office at the age of 25 or 30 or do something with a major corporation and really take their career and their life and their ambitions to a different level. They're haunted by what they did at 17, 18, 19 years old and what they posted and it's online. it's out there now. Yeah. It's out there now. And they could say, you know, like my, I got my 13 year old said, look, look he, he posted something, this silly picture last year. And I talked to him and he said, dad, I knew it was wrong right away. And I deleted it. I said, okay, buddy. I said, what does that mean? He said, no, I deleted it. He's, I said, man, you don't delete anything. <laughs> Once you put it out there, it can always be archived. It can always be retrieved. Yep. So, yep. And yep. your story, your story yeah. shows that. Yeah. Joe, um, one of the things that I love about your story, though, we're both people of faith, um, yeah. men of faith. And it's such a reminder, too, that even in our mistakes, though, uh, God still works. And so your story now is being used really for redemptive purposes. Yeah. I mean, you ended up spending some time in prison. You typed this book out in prison. Um, but now this whole story, I think, is going to be used in amazing ways through this movie, through this curriculum to make a huge impact. And it's a, it's a reminder that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a mistake. You made some, some serious mistakes, yeah. but now he's using those for good. That's just amazing. So I just want to say thank you for allowing God to do that, allowing uh, your story to be used in this way. It's going to yeah. be fun to see what happens. So we're going to have you on in a couple of weeks again. I want people to hear a little bit more of this story. So thanks, Joe. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.